I wonder if uh, you recognize this man. It's uh, Donald Trump. Apparently, 98% of Americans know who Donald Trump is. And uh, he's, he's fabulously wealthy. He's owns pretty much most of Manhattan. He's uh, had hugely successful um, TV shows with The Apprentice. Uh, I don't know if you're fans of that. I'm an avid fan of The Apprentice. It's in its fifth series at the moment in the States. We're only on series two here. But, um, but yeah, I mean, he's a hugely successful guy. He made his money in real estate and, uh, and owns the land underneath the Empire State Building owns some of the most exclusive five-star hotels all around the world, owns a couple of casinos, uh, also owns the right to Miss Universe, and, uh, and, and that kind of thing. So I wonder, what would Jesus say to, to the Donald, as he likes to be known? What would Jesus say to, to Donald Trump? And I guess after reading the parable that we've read this morning, well, it's a tricky one. Um, when Richard was dishing out the parables to, to different of us who are going to be preaching through, he did say to me that actually this, he felt like he was a bit of a hospital pass, giving me this one. Because it, it's a real tricky one to get our heads around. And just um, when I found out this is what I was going to be preaching on, I have to confess I did kind of gulp and uh, bang my head on the table. And... <laughs> It's basically a, a sleazy story from the world of finance and business. On the face of it, everybody in the story is, is pretty dishonest. You certainly don't expect the, the rich man to commend his manager, but he does. And you certainly don't expect, expect Jesus to commend him as well. You just think, what on earth is, is going on? And what on earth does this mean for us today? I mean, Donald Trump, he's a pretty shrewd businessman. Would Jesus commend him? Well, the key, actually, to understanding this parable lies in verses 10 to 15, where Jesus spells out his attitude to wealth, both its uses and its dangers. And actually, the big challenge that Jesus gives us is that he says that... that our use of money reveals where our hearts really are. Let me just read verse 13. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And then in verse 15. You are the ones who justify yourselves in the eyes of others, but God knows your heart. What people value highly is detestable in God's sight. So Jesus is pretty clear that actually money is something that is not just passive or, or simply a, a neutral means of exchange, but actually money is out to control us. Jesus is saying here that we must control it and make our decisions about how we use money from kingdom values. Now, I don't know about you, but, but sermons about money generally make me squirm in my seat and feel a bit uncomfortable as I try to not catch the, the preacher's eye. 
because money is, is a huge challenge for, for us in our Christian lives and a, and a potential danger as well. Apparently, um, mercenaries in the Crusades, when they were that time, often held their swords up above their heads, out of the water when they were being baptized, because they didn't want Christ to have control over their swords. Well, it's actually pretty true of me that, that too often, instead of my sword above my head, it's my wallet that's above my head, because I don't want to send that, surrender total control of that to Jesus. Well, I've got um, three questions this morning that we need to ask to see whether our, where our hearts really are and to check whether or not we're using our money with uh, kingdom values. So the first one, and from verses 8 to 9, do you use your money for things of real worth? And then secondly, how trustworthy are you? From verses 10 to 12. And then finally, from verses 13 to 15, who are you serving? But firstly, do you use your money for things of real worth? Well, let's uh, look at this bad man's good example. Well, we see in, in verse, in verse um, 1 that... that it comes to the attention of the rich man that his manager has been dishonest. And what is this I hear of you? He says to him, and he calls him to, to account. And it's likely that uh, this rich man was probably a wealthy landowner who probably lived elsewhere. And so this manager is, is put in charge of his estate while he's away to, to manage it for him, to collect the rent and, and, and that kind of thing. But the manager's dishonesty has been found out. And he knows he's, he's in for it. At verse 3, he knows that he's pretty much just an office worker through and through, and is not good for anything else. And actually, he, he, lo- he risks losing a lot of status as well. So verse 4, thinking about his, his future, wanting to ensure that he'll still be welcome at people's tables, he decides to, to call all those who owe his master money and uh, decides to reduce their debts by fiddling the books. In verses 5, 6 and 7, we, we, we see that. And then, when his boss finds out what he's done, he commends him. And then Jesus, incredibly, commends him as well. And the question is, well, why? Well, let's look at verses 8 and 9. Verse 8 and 9, Jesus talks of, of two groups of people. He talks of the people of this world, meaning those who, who don't know God. And he talks of the people of the light, meaning people who do know God. And Jesus, in verse 8, says that actually, as Christians, there's a lot we can learn from the wisdom and, the, um, in, and from the effort of the people of the world. But let's just, just think about this for a moment. We think of someone like Donald Trump. He's renowned for making shrewd deals. Just think of the effort and the hard work and the, the cunning that he's put in across the years into getting what he wants. 
I'm sure it's true of, of people that you work with as, as well, and people that you know. Some of my friends go to incredible lengths to get more money, or to get more possessions, or to make most of, of what they have. Actually, all of their energy is, is spent on doing that. There's a friend of mine called James, who uh, recently spent over £2,000 on KitKat. Um, he bought, because uh, KitKat at the moment are doing some deal, that if you have a, a multi-pack of, of KitKat, there's a barcode, uh, a unique barcode on every multi-pack of KitKat. You, you log on to the internet, key in this little code, and you get a set amount of KitKat points, which you can then trade in for electronic goods. So, uh, my friend James, he went to his local Tesco and bought £2,000 worth of KitKat, which is quite a lot. You know those crates that you see kind of when you're walking around sometimes? It was two of those crates stacked right up high. And uh, spent, well, the best part of a week really on the internet, keying in all these little barcodes. Um, and ended up doing pretty well out of it. I mean, he's, he's got about five, I think, of um, massive 30-inch plasma TV screens. He's got a, a fridge freezer. He's got a new washing machine. He's got a, a, a spin dryer as well. Um, all from just a clever idea, some shrewd thinking. And uh, he's actually saved himself huge amounts of money and is, is going to sell on most of all this electronic stuff. Well, Jesus says, as Christians, we can learn from that example. In verse 9, Jesus said that actually we're to use our wealth, we're to make sure we're using it for things of, of real worth. Because just storing up wealth and money is not the end that we should be striving for. Jesus already talked about that in Luke's Gospel back in chapter 12 with the parable of the rich fool who wants to build bigger barns and, and dies. And Jesus says, don't just store up for yourself um, wealth in this life, because it's not going to last. The, uh, the point that Jesus was making here is that he's commending this manager for the way, for his use of money and wealth and influence. The manager in the story, in some sense, is used, used this, used his wealth and money and influence for good. He's helping out these guys who, are, uh, who have big debts to this landowner. But also, he's thinking about his own future. And he's wanting to prepare benefits for himself. He realises that he's going to be out on his ear, and he still wants to be welcome in people's houses. Um, so he does what he does in order to, to, to thinking of his own future. But in verse 9, let me read it. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves, so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. See, more than just um, things on using our money for, for things on earth now, Jesus says we can have an eternal benefit or reward if we use our wealth for good here on earth. I guess the, the concept of rewards in heaven is something that's often misunderstood and something we don't like to think about much. It, it somehow goes against the grain of, of grace and faith and discipline and that kind of thing. 
that Jesus is clear here and elsewhere. We're to store up for ourselves treasures in heaven. Verse 9, again. We're to look for that eternal welcome. So we're to use our money to not store up for ourselves things here, but to store up for ourselves things in heaven. Donald Trump uses his shrewd management just for here and now. Jesus says, if that's true of the people of this world, how much more should it be for us who are children of life? That we can be wise and prudent in the way we use our money in order to store up things that will last forever. In other words, we can invest wisely here for heaven. So the question we need to ask ourselves is do we use our money for things of real worth? Do we just do we expend the same amount of effort in our giving as we do in our gaining? Do we give to church? Do we give regularly to mission? I read recently that in the US Christians last year spent eight billion dollars on dieting and two billion dollars on mission. So the question Jesus asked us this morning is are we using our money for things of real worth or are we just storing up for ourselves things here and now? The second question Jesus asked us is this. Are you trustworthy with what you have? Verses 10 to 12, let me read it again. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. Whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? Jesus makes a very clear and straightforward point. And it's as true for the people of this world as it is for the people of the light. If you can't be trusted with small things, who's going to trust you with bigger things? And we just see what happened to the manager in this story. He found that out. But did you see how Jesus extends it further into the eternal again? Verse 11. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? If you can't look after worldly wealth with integrity, well, Jesus is clear. God will not entrust you with true riches. And he's already been talking about the eternal blessings and benefits and that welcome in, in, in heaven. But Jesus, but there's a warning here that if we're not trustworthy here and now, then Jesus will not um, give us anything of, of real, lasting worth then. So the question is, how trustworthy are you? Am I? Each of us has been entrusted with something, and some more than others. And we have a responsibility to be good stewards, to look after what we have. So do we take our responsibility seriously? Even in the small things. Even when we're 
putting in just an expense claim at work? Are we trustworthy with what we have? A third challenge for us this morning. Look at verse 13. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. In many ways, this is the crux of the whole matter here. And Jesus gets his finger right on the core issue. The heart of our problem as human beings is the problem of our hearts. Naturally, we, we, are, we are selfish. We are slaves to our own selfish desires, to, to what makes us feel good. Jesus says, if we sort out the root, the rest will be, will be, will be sorted out. You don't get bananas from an apple tree. The psalmist says, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. God wants our hearts to have a new master. And he is the one who is supremely worthy to be that master. But I guess, in today's day and age, um, we don't really appreciate so much what, what slavery was all about. When we see slaves and masters in the Bible, we sometimes just automatically translate it into bosses and employees. And uh, we look at a passage like this and we think, well actually, um, today people do have two jobs, they do have two employees. There's plenty of people I know who do one job during the day, another job in the evening. But in the first century, a master possessed his slave. He owned him completely. Every waiting moment, every ounce of his strength belonged to his master. The question Jesus has here is, is God really our master? Does God have all of our time? Or does he just have the leftovers when we've done everything else that we want to do? Apparently, uh, I read this week as well, that, that in the UK, Christians, on average, give 1% of, of their income to charity or, or to the church. Um, so just think, I mean, what an impact there would be if Christians were to give 10% of, of their, their income. When it comes to, to your budgeting for the, for the month ahead, does your giving just become whatever is left over? at the end, if any at all. That's so often the case with me. How much do we actually pray about how we spend our money? Does God just get the leftovers? They say that uh, in the USA, the average person will see 150,000 adverts in their lives. And I'm sure it must be pretty similar for us here in the UK as well. I wonder how that compares to the amount of time we spend reading God's Word or praying. And I wonder which is going to be the biggest shaping influence uh, on, on the decisions that we make. 
Jesus is very clear in this um, story this morning that the way we use our money shows what's really going on in our hearts. We live in a world where 1.3 billion people live on less than a dollar a day. At the same time as $300 billion are spent just on advertising alone each year. Jesus urges us to use our money out of kingdom values. Jim Elliot um, famously said at the age of 22, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Just a few years after saying that, Jim and four others were, were martyred by uh, Orca Indians. After years of, of preparation and sacrifice to go and to share Jesus with them, he gave his all for his master. The question Jesus has for us this morning is, will you give your all? Will I 